Welcome to Film and Spirits Podcast with Fred and Sean. Today we have a spoiler review of the new Dune movie by Denis Villeneuve. Stay tuned. Hello, fellow drinkers. How are you today? Hey, Sean. Hey, Fred. Happy How's Wednesday, it going? man? Hey, happy Wednesday. It's, it's the middle of the week. We're, we're halfway there, living on a prayer. <laughs> living on a prayer. It's been, uh, thank you as for always, bringing Bon Jovi into oh, the fold. Of course, so there's nothing wrong with bringing some Bon Jovi into the fold. Uh, how are things on your end? It's good. It's good. It's nothing good. much since, yeah. uh, nothing uh, to write home about, as we say, since I talked to you last. But uh, no, I, would, uh, I went to the theaters for sure. Yeah, and I me think too. That's the main uh, subject of discussion for, uh, for today's episode. So uh, pretty excited, man. Me too. We also have a guest on today's show. We'll, we'll we have, do. We do. We have uh, Seb over here. Seb, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, Sebastian Sheath. I've been a contributor for Screen Hub since since kind of the start a few years ago. Um, You're technically a co-owner. <laughs> yeah, I suppose yeah. so, yeah. Like really straight from the start and kind of moving on from the movie pilot work we were doing. Um, and I'm, I'm actually coming in from Berlin today, so a little bit of a time difference, but um, still really excited to be here and to talk about, especially Dune, I think is the, the main um, sort of topic for today. Um, oh, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about yourself since you're new to the show. Uh, how did you get started in the whole writing about film field? Like, how, what brought you to movie pilot? Was there anything before that? Just yeah, so find, I was... Find the passion. Yeah, I was um, writing just every week I would do a film review because I think I just had the time. I was in, I was in high school and um, was watching a lot of movies and then kind of was trying to find a way to make that productive um, and was writing for about two years. I was just doing every week a review. And then one of the um, employees at Movie Pilot found my, found my blog and contacted me and invited me to, to come join the program. And then I wrote for Movie Pilot for about, I think, a year and a half before Screen Hub started. Um, and since then, I've been... I think more recently I haven't haven't been as active as I'd like to, but otherwise I've just been writing on that. And now I'm I'm currently studying music production with the goal of goal of doing film scoring. So I was actually listening to last last week's episode, being very jealous of you guys <laughs> your guys' conversation. Hey, awesome! Mm-hmm. Hey, we have two yeah. film components uh, in a row. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get both of them on the show one day. Yeah, yeah we should totally. Yeah. That would be cool. I'd love that. Well, good, good tag, Seb. <laughs> good tag, my name. <laughs> We're happy to have you on board. It's so fun. And now, what are you drinking uh, tonight? Considering half of the yeah. show is about spirits. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually drinking an old fashioned. So it's a bit, bit of a, I suppose, a cocktail good choice. Um, and the I'm having a bourbon that's seventeen seventy six is the brand name. It's an American. Uh, American brand that was actually not founded in 1776, but 1780. So I'm calling that I'm not false sure why. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, and then a little bit of Angostura bitters in a orange zest, and that's my that's what I'm drinking for today. Sounds like a good nightcap. 
Yeah, yeah really cool. I'm jealous. Old fashioned. That's a really <laughs> good pick. Congrats, man. What do you have, Sean? Well, I was in need. I wanted something a little different out of my collection, and I was just pondering to those little airplane bottles of Fireball whiskey. And I believe I'm already regretting my decision because I'm just <laughs> smelling it right now. And you know those little Valentine's Day candy hearts that yeah. just smell like cinnamon? Well, it smells mm-hmm. like that in a drink form. <laughs> and it, that doesn't smell very inviting. So I'm curious to see what it's going to taste like, but I don't feel like this is going to be something that one drinks for socializing or just, ha, oh, I'm drinking a scotch. I think it's one of those things you drink it and all of a sudden you're Cletus or something from The Simpsons going like, I've had me a night. You like to live dangerously. You're a man of yeah. many tastes. I, I like too it. like to live dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> quote some Austin Powers. Yeah. I'll um, stay <laughs> playing five at blackjack. <laughs> you should really um, hit, on, sir. <laughs> yeah, on my end, it's really uh, it's pretty uh, a classic as well. Just a gin and tonic. Um, but the gin I used, it's uh, one I I think I used prior for one of our episodes. But it's the um, the um, gin Tuya that I bought like uh, near Moncton in uh, New Brunswick, out of Canada, which is really good, really really tasty. Is that gin. the one you so used I for the, the Vesper? I think it's this. It's, I think it's this one. Yeah, I think it is it's the same. It's the best one I have, like on my mini bar. So I can't get enough of it. It's it's really good. So on that note, cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Yeah, I just tried cheers. mine just out of curiosity and good grief. Good grief, huh? <laughs> It'll keep you warm if nothing else. That's the thing. It goes down, and there's definitely a burn going down my esophagus <laughs> right now. Yeah. Feel like I'm on fire a little bit. Hence the title of the the drink. It's certainly spicy with that cinnamon flavor. Almost, but do you like said fire, or is it bothering you more pref- than anything? I prefer else? a smooth drink, to be honest. Uh, when it comes to scotch and whiskeys, I tend to like there's the, the tasting scale, and I tend to prefer things that are on the top left hand side, which is usually a lighter, fruitier note. This is very much just like it's not even smoky, it's just sweet and spicy. <laughs> so I feel like it could be a, a nice dessert whiskey. I feel like it could potentially work with some vanilla ice cream. But okay. I wouldn't want to drink too much of this on its own. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Interesting. How's your drink? Satisfied with your old-fashioned, Seb? Yeah. it's. Um, I've actually, this is my kind of regular go-to in terms of whiskey. I'm not a huge whiskey person. Um, I tend to lean more towards rum. Rum's my... Um, Hard alcohol of choice, but you should totally um, look up yeah, it's a little the, bit uh, smoky and look up the El Dorado that I drank a few episodes ago. El Dorado find it over there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll note it down because yeah, I just don't know don't really know enough about it. I think I need to explore, explore yeah, so find new horizons for whiskey. If you can find a good bottle of El Dorado, either the twelve or the fifteen, that should be, be a recommendation for a, a good bottle of rum. Okay. But as I mentioned, this drink is really spicy, which is an excellent segue into the the topic du jour, <laughs> which is, of course, Dune Part 1. We are a house of Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House of Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only an awakening in my mind. 
You need to face your fears. Which is Dune Part One, the mm-hmm. latest movie from Denis Villeneuve, and I think we've all had the chance to go and watch it at this point, yes. along with a lot of people yeah. based yes. on the box office. Yes, numbers. we did. Yeah, yeah, really happy for him. Like it, it was still like an un, an unsure thing. I think like a few weeks prior to like uh, the the big opening in in North America, but no, the the numbers are really good and really happy for yeah. him. And well, he needed this for. Um, for doing part two, which we'll discuss again, but this is no, it's 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 amazing news. Really happy for Denis. Yeah. So yeah. Seb, you got to see this one a few weeks ago because you're in Berlin. And yes. Warner Brothers has opened the movie up uh, almost week by week. They were introducing it into international markets. Do you think that was mm-hmm. actually a really good move on their part to create positive word of mouth? Um. Honestly, no. Okay. Um. I, I was obviously really happy about it, being able to see it kind of a month ahead of um, the North American market, so you're not flooded with spoilers about everything um, on the internet. You kind of got to avoid it for a little while. But um, I think there was what I was most concerned about in terms of getting box office numbers up so we can get a part two was that I think a lot of the draw for people who hadn't read the book and weren't necessarily big science fiction fans but were maybe going to see it anyway was the cast um and people would be like well this is the younger people would maybe be attracted to Zendaya or Timothy Chalamet um in it or look at like Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac just being massive box office draws um and I think a lot of people who didn't go in with the book already has as prior knowledge were a little bit disappointed by the movie maybe um because it cut off and a lot of the story cut line felt like it was almost going somewhere and then stopped which was for me very exciting because it felt like we're going to get an episodic adventure but I think if you didn't if you're not comfortable already with the story that was a little bit jarring so I'm not sure it did create as much positive word as mouth as they were hoping interesting that was one thing I was talking about as well in the spoiler review that I wrote is that Dune part one very much felt like act one and a half of a movie. And if yep. you were to watch the Lord of the Rings was made into two movies, just to make the example easier to understand, there's sort of been like cutting the movie right when Rohan is marching to Helm's deep and just mm-hmm. chopping it right there and creating a bit of an anticlimactic ending as a result. And I think a lot of people perhaps didn't realize that this is not going to be a three act structure movie. It's, it's part one and a half of a three act structure. We're going to get another half act and then a final act in part two. That's the way I saw or interpret it when I saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So Fred, you've never read Dune before. No, I'm uh, never read Dune before. I saw the David Lynch movie, but I didn't read read a single book. No. So I'm really, I think a new, a new audience for, for this film and this franchise to be sure. Yeah. So as a result, do you think, well, is the experience difficult for you? Like Dune is an incredibly dense source material. Mm -hmm. Some people called it unadaptable. So with that in mind, when you were watching it, were you like, what the hell is going on at any point in the movie? No, I wouldn't say I was lost. I think that everything was pretty much 
well explained in terms of exposition and things that they didn't explain out loud, I still figure out on my own. So I wouldn't say that I was lost um, watching Dune. I think maybe what... Um, because I, I did like the movie, for sure. I, I think it's a, it's a solid film. It's solid Dune, I didn't even have a film. Not my favorite, but I think I was expecting something, because of all the promo I've seen, the trailers and whatnot, more of an action-packed kind of film. Mm. And it's more of a contemplative journey, which I didn't dislike. Like The, the, the cinematography in this film is, is gorgeous. It's some of the best-looking sci-fi I've seen for a while, for, to be honest. But the way the movie was paced, I was like, hmm. I, I was struggling to find some iconic scenes that I can really refer to and call this like a new classic. Because everybody, in terms of critics, were like, like depicting this as like a masterpiece of cinema. Like the new Godfather or the new Apocalypse Now of like science fiction, you know? And after I, I went out, I was like, I didn't see that, though. I was like, I'm, it's good, but is this revolutionary? I don't know. I'm not, I, I think I don't even have the answer to that question. But I don't know. I, I, it, it's not exactly what I expected, but I, I'm not saying that it's it's bad. It's just not, it's not spectacular. Like, I, I wasn't blown away, but I still liked it. So I'll keep it like that. But it's, but I miss, I understood the plot overall. I did, yeah. Interesting analysis, though. Like, good feedback on that. That's actually exactly what I was hoping to hear, this point of view without the source material as reference point. Mm -hmm. And Seb, you have read the book. I have, yeah. Um, relatively recently, in the last, I think, I started it in the summer of 2018, so it was a couple of years ago. Um, and then I kind of went back and revisited it more recently, just when the movie was about to come out um, last year, which I feel like it's very difficult to separate the kind of viewing experience if you've read it and imagine that from the other perspective, having not read it. But in terms of it being kind of marked as revolutionary or anything, I think the f I agree with you that the film didn't feel like that, but... I think the way it's heading where it's going to become a two-part and hopefully more series with um, Denis Villeneuve also working on the um, TV show that's covering the... The um, Sisterhood. The Bene Gisera, yeah, the yeah. Gisera, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dune Sisterhood, I think, is where it's titled. I think that's what they're going for in terms of it becoming a very large production, um, almost... Westworld, Game of Thrones-esque, where it's very high-quality production, but released very slowly, where they'll have a season every um, two years. I think that's a similar approach that they're taking with the films, where it's going to be not a lot of content, but really high-quality and released over a long period of time, so it becomes more of a saga, if that makes yeah, sense. I read that Villeneuve was giving an interview, and he said that if Dune Part 2 does well, and at the time, Dune Part 2 wasn't even greenlit, now it is, thankfully... But if Dune Part 2 gets greenlit, he would like to turn uh, the whole concept of Dune into a trilogy. And he would cap it mm -hmm. off by adapting Dune Messiah, which is the second book in the, what, 21, 23 book franchise that is the Duneiverse. But I think that would be an interesting take. Like, Dune Messiah is not as good a book as the first Dune, but it makes for a nice sort of like coda or an epilogue. 
You, mm-hmm. you can't split Doom Messiah into two movies. Like, you just can't. So it could be an interesting, like, third movie to wrap it up. But they would really have to find a way to elevate the material because Dune Messiah feels much more small-scale. A lot of conversations. I don't think there's right. a single action scene in Dune Messiah at all. Hmm. That was or, something that for, for this part one is, even though it, I felt like it was relatively slow in the pacing, the action scenes were incredible. And the lot really massive scale um basically yeah. just fights were really well pulled off and incredibly dramatic and the score is score is amazing for it and everything and that was i felt really nailed i would i would agree with that i mean i i think we're all talking about one action scene i think mostly mainly one the i mean spoiler alert <laughs> yeah we're talking about all the spoilers um, in this one yeah. <laughs> when when the harkonnens and the emperor's army are coming down on on arrakis i think with the explosions and the fire everywhere and i mean you have like that orange glow of mm-hmm. destruction when you're watching the film on IMAX, it was it was brilliant. Yeah. It was really a good good seeing good the action. Flames sure. sort of like bounce off the shields as well, like the shields yeah. are kind of take off, mm-hmm. and you see it almost like the flames like hugging the the shields that are around them, and then the shields mm-hmm. failing due to being so hilariously overwhelmed. The the visual scope, like all of that, and this is a credit to the movie, like not even just that scene, but at no point. For me did it feel like movie magic it felt like someone stuck a camera and was like documenting these events yeah uh, like the scope of this movie is just massive and practical so much practical effects as well like there's a lot yeah. of digital effects like don't get me wrong there's a lot of cgi but there are mm-hmm. a lot of very interesting practical sets which have fun. i think i noticed I noticed it more when they're in Caladan than on Arrakis because Arrakis, I don't know, like it still felt a lot of CGI, but good CGI mm-hmm. um, all CGI around. To, like, I know that enhance what has already been yeah done. enhance like the 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 brightness of the planets and when they're going out. I mean the sandworms, of course, but every time they're on the ship, I mean there's a lot of CGI. But when they're on Caladan, I think it was really well done because apart from the ship everything else felt natural felt good felt mm-hmm. good looking um i did like that part a lot but i did admire like the the brightness and in terms of that that do uh, like the planet dune the planet arrakis like contrary to i don't know when you go to star wars you go to tatooine you know like this planet feels uncomfortable like you're like okay it's bright as hell even as an audience member you're like Blinking your eyes a little bit, you say, "Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. This is a bright planet. There's a lot of, and it, it you can feel the heat and the sand and the dryness of Arrakis. So I think that he really succeeded in making us uncomfortable, like the like the Athreides did, like once they they landed. I think that was really well done in terms of atmospheric. You, it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned Star Wars because where they shot most of the Dune scenes on Arrakis. It's, uh, it's Jordan, which was used for a segment in The Rise of Skywalker. Really? Yeah, oh, I thought yeah. it was Tunisia, uh, Tunisia exactly well, like, for, um, for the original, like The New Hope. For The uh, yeah. a New Hope, yeah. But on uh, in Rise of Skywalker, when they go over to that sort of like festival with all the, the paint being shot up in the air, then the First Order comes down. It was Jordan, mm-hmm. yeah. That was Jordan, which is where uh, Lawrence of Arabia was shot at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. So those like sand dunes with like the rocks sort of like jettisoning out, that is that's Jordan, and it's interesting for the Star Wars comparison. 
because George Lucas riffs on Dune a lot. Dune, uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. is basically. I can like, see that. Yeah, like I Star Wars is basically yeah. one third Dune, one third Flash Gordon, and one third Kurosawa. <laughs> like, I think that's a fair assessment. There's a sand planet. There's an empire. There's even spice. Like Star Wars has spice at the same time. In Star Wars, it's a drug, but mm-hmm. it's still an interesting point of view. What, yeah. And what about um, the music? Mainly for oh, good. this one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, much to music. say. Yeah. Yeah. So I just said there's a lot to say, so I want to go to Fred first, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we discussed soundtracks the last time and we discussed a lot of Hans Zimmer. No, it's 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 good. It's an amazing soundtrack. I think of like of Hans Zimmer's work, I think that this is like clo- really, really, I think, yeah, like head to head with uh, Interstellar. I think this is not just like an an ambiance music i think this is really at point at times really powerful and even a character itself in the oh, film interesting. um i think that the, the scene i always have in mind where i can really sense like the impact of Hans zimmer's music was the okay sorry if i mistake the term but the dumb jabbar scene oh, well the, the you have like the needle yeah. the gun jabbar yeah exactly when you have the needle the sister has in the needle to paul's neck and he has to like withstand the, the the pain in the box the music was super well used in that scene and i could really like see like paul's power like over the sister through the music are you talking mainly really about well the handled. um the choir that sort of kicks in when he takes control yeah the choir when he kicks in like duel of the mm-hmm. f- duel of the fates yeah. kind of thing <laughs> it's really well used and i think it, they use it uh, at uh, the last scenes with the fremen as well and during the attack of the the harkonnens but it's the music is aces uh and i think thank god it is because for such a contemplative and really slow film uh, for most of it not all but uh, say at least like like two-thirds of it it's it's good to have like such a, a musical presence so it's yeah aces for the music really love it yeah i think hans zimmer very much outdid himself on this particular soundtrack as you said the music is a character and i think that's a very interesting statement to talk about the movie for me in particular i i got a kick out of the bagpipes <laughs> <laughs> landing on a yeah. and like this bagpiper comes out and then yeah but he's almost playing like the bagpipe sort of like off kilter. It's off key. There's something almost uncomfortable about it. And I thought that was very mm-hmm. interesting because it's usually bagpipes are supposed to be portrayed as very like patriotic in a way. Like we have to blast the bagpipe as loud as we can. But this seemed almost like off kilter as if there's coming to the planet. There's something off about that, even though the bagpipe and like the military presence of uh, House Atreides should be like, shiny and to the T that there was something just a little bit off about them arriving there. And at least that's the way I interpreted it. But that's how they wanted it for sure. Because like to, to tell the audience, I guess that, okay, it's not going to go as, as, as well as we expect. There's a trap there that we haven't seen. And I think also just to reinforce the, the effect on, on the planet Arrakis on the, like the, 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 the Athreides family is that they all think it's going to go well. They're like, they're like this super, I think that they're, they're compared at what point, I, I don't think like to Great Britain because they do like own the seas and they have like a super powerful army and they have, they're really like military, like geniuses or engineers. And I think that's, that's why the emperor like asks the Atreides to get implicated. But I think that, 
there's a few times where they say like, oh, the, like Arrakis is Arrakis and the deserts take the week. And I'm like, even they, they arrive on that planet, feel that they, they're supposed to be gods there. But that planet is so powerful over everybody. It's like, it's so hot. It's so comfortable. So even I think like the pie player is like, oh shit, this is hot. <laughs> like I can't, I can't play accordingly. I mean, I'm really, I'm comfortable. I don't have the suit on. So I, I guess it's just like the effect on the, of the planet on, on the authorities that really you can see there basically. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I perceived it. Before I'll pass the mic to Seb, did you guys see the, uh, <laughs> the featurette on Hans Zimmer talking about the score where he literally said that there were some sounds on the Dune soundtrack that he couldn't just make with a normal instrument because he wanted to create an out-of-this-world uh, oral experience or a sonic mm -hmm. experience, and he had to create instruments to create otherworldly sounds. Which yeah, and that's, that's something that he does relatively often, actually. I think he really leaned into it on this and tried to find something that was really, when you heard it, you were kind of like, what, what is this? Um, but he's... I think relatively famously very into a modular synthesis for his sound production and trying to create stuff that's completely new. Like with Interstellar, there was a lot of kind of otherworldly type sounds that he used. And even with Inception, he did a lot of that um, kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, he really went, really went all out for this. Um, and especially those, yeah, the choir kind of vocal type things you were talking about, where the... That's the immediate thing I think most people are probably thinking of when you when you mention the score for Dune, they'll be like, oh yeah, the massive shouting that happens when you turn this action, um, which is perfect for all of the vision scenes that always always came up and made it so much more energetic. Um, but the bagpipes as well was kind of used as an ongoing theme for the Atreides, which I thought was interesting. So when the um, Harkonnens or Harkonnens, I think they were, uh, yeah. Harkonnens, yeah. Harkonnens, yeah. Harkonnens, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they when they attacked, then the bagpipes came back when it was kind of like the yeah. clashing forces, which was um, interesting, and how he created for the different houses um, and even the Fremen as well, kind of whole different worlds of sound where you go to the Fremen, it was more kind of tribal and rhythmic, which I thought was really interesting, or the really deep, kind of harrowing tones for the Harkonnens. And when they went to, um, I forget the name, but the prison planet where the, the guard had trained yeah, or kind of can't remember bred the name of the planet <laughs> something Secundus, I think. Um, and that was kind of a really also notable point where you can really get hit by the score and you're like, wow, this is, this is extraordinary. Even for, there was one part of the soundtrack. I can't remember when in the movie, but it almost sounded like this, like, really bassy uh, didgeridoo from Australia. Yeah, that's the part okay. I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's something very, like, you don't hear that sound too often. And no. just to hear that almost, like, creeping in, it was almost, like, violating in a way, but in a, a good way. Yeah, and there were also two, two parts that, because I had the experience of, I had seen the film actually a couple times before listening to last week's episode, um, because of the strange, strange rollout where you guys were almost reminiscing on the fact that it's very rare now that scores are released with the music, music inspired by type thing and yeah. all the extra stuff that doesn't, wasn't actually in the movie. And there's, there's two whole um, kind of bodies of work that were released alongside the Dune 
the June score. Um, they were actually released beforehand, before so the like US release. Sketchbooks, I think. And yeah, so the sketchbooks the and then... Dune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because um, Hans Zimmer decided to write an entire score for the <laughs> Yeah. Just for fun. Just for fun. Yeah. Uh, he wrote nine yeah. songs. I think it's like almost two hours worth of music. Just so you can. Well, he can use it for part two at least. <laughs> well, he's already been working on part two. I don't know if you saw that as well, but he's already said he's mm-hmm. clocked in around 90 minutes worth of music already. What the hell? And I, I guess this is also why he stepped back from doing um, Tenet. Yeah. Well, he had yeah. uh, James Bond, and then he went over to do Dune, and I think just Dune was coming mm-hmm. to him at the end of the day. Like, Working yeah. with Chris Nolan is one thing, but then working with Dune, which is something that he cited as being very passionate about. He loved the source mm-hmm. material. Just one of those opportunities that he couldn't say no to. Yeah. And, and he, it's fine. Tenet's, Tenet's soundtrack, we discussed it last time, but it's still amazing, still, even mm-hmm. if Enzimmer is not there. So yeah. yeah. So hopefully the Dune soundtrack, both part two, part two is going to have a lot more of the Fremen. So I'm very curious to see how the soundtrack is going to deviate from going to these more almost bombastic and otherworldly. And if mm-hmm. I wonder if the soundtrack's something gonna, more tribal. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's going to become almost like smaller in scope because we're going to be, I don't know. I think a different, I think they might lean into, scope. yeah, I think they might lean a little bit more into the, obviously it wasn't Hans Zimmer, it was Junkie XL that did this, the score for Mad Max, but yeah. um, a lot of that kind of tribal rhythm that was in that, there was almost as very similar visuals as well, where it's all desert based and, um, but Tom Holkenberg, who is Junkie XL, actually studied under Hans Zimmer for a long time, and I think there's probably going to be um, kind of bringing back that much more rhythm-based stuff than he usually does for, say, Inception or Interstellar, where it's long, organ-sounding um, pieces. Yeah, I will say I one thing that I liked about the soundtrack, and this is both a compliment and a criticism of Hans Zimmer, but it felt like Hans Zimmer was scoring Dune for Dune rather than scoring the movie for himself. Because quite often I find Hans Zimmer mm. soundtracks can take over the visuals sometimes, especially Interstellar, where sometimes like it, felt, it sounds like he fell asleep on the organ. And it crescendos, and you're like, okay, summon these again to the mixing booth and bring those levels down. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like Hans Zimmer's playing, like, no, 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 like, I'm Hans Zimmer... Like, look at my work, and you're like, your work is amazing, but it almost feels like it's overpowering sometimes. I feel like this time, mm-hmm. the music was just at the right level. I would agree with that, yeah. There was also, um, towards the end, where um, there's the fight with Janice as, um, as Paul is kind of inducted into the Fremen. There's just silence for the whole fight, which I thought was really interesting, and you kind of, you don't get a lot and it made it so much more visceral and intense. Speaking um, of that fight, there was something I wanted to ask and see if you guys think I'm either crazy, I'm on point, but we've seen a lot of the, the visions in the movie, right? Like there's always like flashes. And mm-hmm. one of the visions is his conversation with Yanis. Uh, and it, he says to Paul, I'm going to teach you the ways of the, the desert. I'm going to teach you the ways of the Fremen. And it's over by like a campfire and, it's almost implying that in Dune Part 2, these two are going to get together and he's going to be like a mentored character. And that does not happen at all. Like, they have their duel and Paul kills him. Do you think mm-hmm. that by Paul killing him, the vision is technically 
still coming true because he still kind of taught him the way of the desert, like kill or be killed, survival of the fittest. Because that's kind of how I interpreted it. Or that's it, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I didn't I didn't rethink this after a first viewing. I can tell you how I perceive this because I think they're telling us basically that Paul has the ability to see both the future and the past. So the visions that we see of Zendaya's character, Chani, I think, yeah. um, can I think, as I understood it, can be both in the future and the past. So same thing for that Janice character. I think that maybe like when we see him talking to Paul near the fire, I think maybe that's something that he, he might be able, like he was able to connect with him in some way or connect with this his like his wisdom or the way he talks to other Fremen around the fire. So I think maybe that's something that happened in the past. And he's like, okay, I did, I didn't learn for your ways. I was able to kill you and understand like how the Fremen work, you know, that's how I seen it, but maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know about you, Seb. I, I saw it more as, <clears throat> sorry, there's a, there's another vision, I think of the fight where it shows Giannis winning yeah. um, and Paul dying. And I think maybe this is kind of tainted by the perception from the from having read the book as well. But Paul can see in sort of branches of potential history of potential futures. Um, and I I just kind of didn't think any deeper than that. I thought it was just something that he saw as a potential um, outcome of the event, and then had something not gone that way had Yanis not invoked his right of. Um, passage or whatever the correct term is um, that would have maybe become us become a connection that he made within the Fremen later. Um, oh, so a potential future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't read but I, I like your explanation first... more, honestly. Oh, oh well, <laughs> better mine. Because <laughs> I think we all have very interesting points of view on how to interpret that. So as I said, these mm -hmm. movies are kind of like open for interpretation. I was going to say like, yeah. for the record, I have not read the first Dune book in probably 10 years. So I remember it. I'm a little hazy on it. I did read Messiah like a month ago. And I was going to go mm -hmm. keep reading through that. But, you know, there's a bajillion things to read and a bajillion things to watch. So yep. Fred's seen my room. But there's, well, seen my place. <laughs> books everywhere. Books of Dune everywhere. Books but everything. to jump on another subject outside of music, uh, a thing I think they did really well Uh, and after that, I can maybe like jump into the things I, li I liked a little less, but I did like the casting really much. And I did like how the families were represented. Like mm -hmm. I see like clear, like a clear distinctions and clear, I don't know, like, answer, I don't know, like cultural uh, symbolism, like in each one of them. And I did really like how, how they were all portrayed. Like I love the treaties. They're all calm. They live in the forest. They have these military uniforms. They're really sophisticated, like European kind of thing. They, and I think there's like some, even some Spanish references because of the, the, the bullhorn, like uh, on, on the wall that we see a lot, then they take it off. They take, get on again because like they 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 have like their own corridas or something like on the planet uh caladan really liked it yeah, um, they should be the making fact the that tv the show about that event <laughs> yeah yeah hbo max the bull <laughs> yeah the bull the bull of caladan yeah oh there we go uh, <laughs> But uh, the Harkonnen, same thing. I mean, like, they're, they're brutal. You can see that by just, like, their white skin. They're all really puffy, really big. Um, I like how, how Bowen Harkonnen is, like, this force to be reckoned with, uh, really imposing, really threthreatening more than so the original film. so uncomfortable. So yeah. uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. 
Like the, yeah, really the, uncomfortable, the suit that especially he was wearing. during. Yeah, and poor him. I think Stellan Skarsgård spent. They said like what eighty hours in that suit or something like that. It, it, like it's crazy, poor guy. But he played it really well. And same for the Fremen. I mean, they. I think they really. Uh, the, the way it was done this time compared to the original film, they really took the time to say, okay, this is not just like humans with blue eyes. They they have their own species. They have their own culture. They have their own uh, like uh, initiation rites. Their own beliefs. And even the way they walk, they speak. They, they, there's really something about, really foreign about them that I really, I really like. So I think that it was done pretty well. How like each family is different and where they come from. I think that David Dev did a better job here than David Lynch did in the original film. Yeah, um, I would agree with that yeah. idea quite mm-hmm. a bit. In particular, with Timothy Chalamet, how mm. I read the book. Timothy Chalamet like nailed it to an absolute letter. Uh, he certainly carried the movie, in my opinion. Like the cast, everyone brought their A game, no doubt about it. Uh, but I think this is the best Timothy Chalamet has been in his career so far. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's because uh, is it me or he doesn't have that much dialogue in the film? I mean, he's really visual presence. I'll agree with you. He's all there. We spend a lot of time with him, but. I didn't. I didn't get the sense that he was such a powerful, powerfully imposing character. I mean, maybe that's the point because he's still point. learning in this. And yeah, that's the point. But I'm not. I, I, I think I'll disagree with you that saying that this was his best performance, like out of his career. I preferred him, like in movies like Call Me by Your Name. But he didn't have that much dialogue. Am I mis- Is this just me, or he didn't? He didn't talk that much in the film. I, think he I agree. All yeah. the treaties. He did? I think oh, so. I think okay. I'll have to watch it again. There's nothing wrong with that. But I felt like he was <laughs> in go back. command of a lot of the scenes that he was in. And I thought the a very interesting aspect of Paul is that unlike uh, Cal McLaughlin in the David Lynch version, where I found he was almost too cocky and, and almost too full of himself, mm-hmm. this was a Paul Atreides who is wise beyond his years, infinitely more wiser amongst his peers, yet is still a fish in the water out of his depths at the same time. So it's this interesting shift of being one of, if not the smartest one in the room, but also being an, an adept, at the, not being a pro. He's still learning. It's a fluke in some of the things that he can do. His training with the, the voice, he, he's not a master at it. And I like that he doesn't have all the answers that, he has to learn. He has to figure things out for himself because there's these expectations for his character. But the training with the voice, I did like the, those scenes. The voice terrified really me. Well, the, the, in the, the IMAX screening, I don't like... know if, how you guys saw it, but the voice, the first time you hear it with the Reverend Mother, she says, like, like come over here. And I was just like, I, I feel like I have to do whatever she's telling me to do or else I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I thought the the sound design on the voice was spectacular because it was terrifyingly reinforcing. Mm-hmm. To go off note on the the Paul Atreides bit. The one I think the stand. Oh, go ahead, Seb. Oh, um, the one portrayal that I was I was I wasn't disappointed by. I don't think it was um, the fault of Rebecca Ferguson, but I felt like the character of Jessica was portrayed as weaker than I was expecting. Like, I think in the book, she's um, just kind of very stoic and 
admittedly maybe doesn't show as much character, but um, I felt like in the movie there were a lot of moments where she was really struggling with her position, um, which I think was just a stylistic choice that I wasn't expecting. So I don't know if I was just caught off guard by that, and maybe in maybe in hindsight I'll actually prefer it as a character choice. But that's something I was a little bit yeah. surprised by. Interesting. Yeah, it's. I didn't read the book, so I can't. I can. I can compare it to the novel, but uh, I did think that she was one, maybe the character or one of the characters that had the much presence in the film, uh, Lady Jessica. I think, that, and it was good. I mean, Rebecca Ferguson was really good in the film. I think she was even better than Timothy Chalamet, but that's that's just me. Um, but yeah, I can't compare it to the to the book. But yeah, the, the, I think the scenes that she we see her struggling between her love for her son and her religion are quite mm-hmm. powerful. Like during the the the, the Gumdjabar scene when he she's praying like and just uh, she's struggling while like Paul is being interrogated. Like really powerful scene. She really acted mm-hmm. the shit out of the, out of that scene. Yeah. I would really say good. Ferguson is yeah. probably the second best lead in right. the movie personally, followed by Oscar Isaac. One thing, and it's not a criticism of the movie at all. Uh, one thing I remarked is that despite the cast being so ridiculously stacked, apart from those three, everyone else felt like they were more there in service of Paul's story. So everyone else only really had like three scenes, maybe. Like everyone was talking mm-hmm. like, oh, Jason Momoa is fantastic in this movie. And I felt like he only had like three or four scenes in this like two and a half hour plus two hour, 40 minute movie. And I'm not sure if anything really jumped out as being like, oh, that was amazing. Despite the fact that everyone brought their A game. It's the same with like Josh Brolin. He's he's in a small handful of scenes, maybe what? Is he dead? By the way, stupid question, but is Josh Brolin dead in that film? I mean, he disappears into the battle, but we don't see him afterwards. Spoilers for Dune Part 2. For Part 2, he's uh, alive. Gurney's alive. Uh, he'll be coming back for part two. Okay. Yeah, that's why I figured, because I remember the original Dune. It was like, no, that's uh, Patrick Stewart character. Yeah, he's yeah. still alive. He'll become <laughs> okay. a, yeah. a spice smuggler, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah, so he doesn't... Well, he survives the battle, and he's sort of like, oh, what now? And he ends up just entering like this like underworld, if you will, and like smuggling spice just to get out and get, get by. In the aftermath of that uh, attack, and interesting to see because he had this position of power and authority and military might, and then he's been like kicked down to essentially the bottom of the ladder. It's an interesting paradigm shift. Interesting. No, you know what, what is the waste of a really good character? Dave Bautista, man. Dave Bautista. He, he's he's, he's literally, two I think, scenes? in three scenes. Yeah, two or three yeah. scenes, and. I'm sure he'll come into play a bit more in the second one, but the two scenes that was in the first scene in particular, I was actually a little upset because I was like, "Wow, Batista has this amazing screen presence, and he's mm-hmm. gone." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I think he's 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 going he's coming back at the end with another scene with the uh, Baron Harkonnen when, he, when he's in the tub or something. But that's it. I kill think that's the, the only two scenes, and he does kill some people. I think like on on Arrakis, we see him like. Uh, I think like mm-hmm. on a like it's a, it's a, we see like a zoomed out yeah. of him. We, it's flames. not clear that it's him, but we know over the flames, but we know it's him. But that's it. That's the only scenes that he has. Yeah. 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 So because the, the cast is so busy, like I said, I feel like everyone's very much in service of Paul's story. Like Batista's character is not there to have an arc. Momoa's character is not there to have an arc. They are there 
to propel Paul to his destination, either through character motivations or manipulating events, indirectly or directly. Which I think is a good choice, because that's really what the the story is really just about Paul and his kind of fulfilling his destiny or his plan for whatever the Bene Gesserit have planned for him or whatever. Um, So I think that's a a good choice and not trying to fill it with too many kind of plot lines that, though they might be interesting, wouldn't be necessarily in service of the story. Yeah, I find it very interesting considering modern cinema just to have a cast Mm -hmm. like that. I feel like it's very anti-2021 or 2020 to have all these cast members not have their own like subplot. I feel like that's something that you have to see a lot in movies mm-hmm. these days. And to have something that feels so, I don't know, old school and in, in thinking about character and story where the supporting cast is there literally to support. I feel like we haven't seen too much of that anymore, especially with like in the blockbuster genre. So I'm mainly looking at the Marvel movies right now. Too many mm-hmm. arcs, yeah. And way too many arcs. Everyone has to have a mini arc. And it was kind of refreshing to see this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's interesting. Uh, Fred, cause because you haven't read the book, do you have any guesses for part two? Well, again, I've seen the original film, so I have some guesses. Have some. I'll, I'll try my, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll try my luck, but I'm guess I'm, uh, I'll have some, yeah, some mistakes here. Okay, of Dune and what Lynch did, like Lynch glossed over a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> the whole first book basically. Um, I think Paul does ride out, ride on the worm for sure, <laughs> the sandworm. Um, my guess is, well, he'll be like a respected figure, like in the Fremen, and he'll show his powers to them, and I think they'll treat him like some sort of a god, maybe. And not, not sure about this, but like some sort of a god, uh, and he'll lead like a counterattack on the Hark- on the Harkonnens in the in the in the city of Arrakis at some point, um, because we have we have those scenes, like we see that like is it's a future like a potential future, but we see him in armor and he's like kicking ass yeah, and like doing like kung fu. Yeah, so I, I guess that that's gonna happen. He's gonna have the blue eyes because he's he's, he's gonna become a true Fremen in a way. Um, yeah, he he and Chani will be in love for sure. Um, what else? It's hard to say. I mean, like at this point, that's the only things I can really see. We'll see the Emperor, I think, the next because I think that's maybe like one of the biggest characters that we 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 didn't see in the Dune Part One is the Emperor. What, what's his name? Shaddam the Four or something? The Fourth or something? Palpatine? I think that Palpatine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cloning. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. Let the hate flow through you. No, no, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah, but he'll he'll be he'll be there. I'm curious to see who's gonna play him. And I do wish that they play him like in a way that's really like arrogant, bigger than this world, not just like an, an old man like in a, in the, on a throne, but something really imposing. Like, I really, I'm really curious how yeah, we're going to He's, gonna he's not just the him. emperor. He's the emperor of the known universe. Yeah. Well, okay, so more of a emperor, Darth Vader so. than a Snoke. Yeah, exactly. Think. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see him. Uh, and I guess some sort of confrontation between either Paul and Baron Harkonnen or Lady Jessica with Baron Harkonnen. I don't know exactly how. Um... I guess this is a spoiler, but somebody did speculate or tell me something that 
in some way the Harkonnens are like linked, family link with the with Jessica's family in some way. I, they, they didn't tell me what exactly, but I think there's like a reveal in some way on this, and I think that's what I'm expecting. It's like revelations, battles, and yeah, just Fremen kicking ass on Arrakis to retake their possession. So I, I won't tell you what you got right and what you didn't got right, but you have some check marks and some X's in your prediction, and I won't tell you it's what okay. it is, it's okay. so you have a surprise <laughs> coming. But you do have some in both columns, which will make things interesting All right, going perfect. forward. Perfect. All right. I'm uh, 50-50. I give myself a 6 on 10 or 7 on 10. Yeah, I won't That's tell you good. how much <laughs> in, in one column. Uh, I had something I was going to say, and I, I literally just like, blanked it out of my mind. And I hate it when that happens. God damn it. <laughs> um, well, before I think about that, the cinematographer for me was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, that I think we all agree. Yeah. Uh, really masterful work. You know that by, this uh, is the Dylan. same guy who did Rogue One. What's his name? The director of photography? Greg Frazier. Greg Frazier. Yeah, amazing work that he did. And even in Rogue One, great cinematography. I do remember the cinematography. I would Rogue argue One. that Rogue good. One is perhaps the most visually stunning Star Wars movie. And I think that he completely outdid yeah. himself with Dune. Yeah, I would agree mm-hmm. with that. The, the, no, the visuals in this film are really, I think, yeah, like to be honest, the best part of the film yeah. for me. The, the videos, yeah. for, for sure. Fred and I were talking yeah. about this before, and maybe it's a little blasphemous for me to say, but because of the cinematography and just the way the sets are portrayed and the costume design and all that, the scope of this movie created a sense of awe and wonder that I haven't felt in terms of immersion into a fantastical world since I saw the original Lord of the Rings. See, I don't see that again. Uh, maybe I'm like naive, or I don't. I'm not open-minded as you are, but I didn't have that feeling at all. I mean, I did. I did think that it was a, a beautiful work of art, but I, I didn't find myself that immersed into the universe of Dune. Not like Game of Thrones. Not like Star Wars. Not like. Even not what else can I say? Even Lord of the Rings for and Harry Potter for that matter. I don't know why. Maybe because it's too. Maybe the way the delivery didn't make this happen for me. But it's still pretty vague. Everything's pretty vague for me. I don't know exactly where it's going. And I think maybe I see this. I don't want to say small scale, but my expectation is like okay like for the next couple it's not going to be like interstellar battle they're going to be stuck on that planet like it's 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 going to be more dune stuff it's more about one world more than more other worlds but maybe i'm mistaken i didn't read the books i don't know what i can expect but it's it's i don't know it felt once they leave Caladan and they remain on Dune for the rest of the film i'm like okay so this is more low key than i expected it's more about one community on a planet, not like many battles, many politics on multiple planets. But that's the way Denis Villeneuve chose to, to, to present it, which is fine. It's just that it, 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 it showed or I saw it small, like smaller scale before, because a, of that. It's a much more intimate story than the scope of the movie visually suggests. For all its mm-hmm. grandeur, this is a story about a boy at the end of the day. Like, there's other subtext to go with that on galactic and political fronts, but it is very much about Paul becoming the figure he's supposed to be and with his parents helping him out with that. 
So I find that it's very interesting to see that this tiny little story is wrapped up in something so overwhelmingly large visually. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely more in agreement with Sean on this one. Um, okay. Though I would put Game of <laughs> Thrones, early that. seasons Game of Thrones, in there. Um, in terms of like in terms of worlds that yeah. I felt were really um, enveloping, um, but yeah, yeah I, I was I didn't blown want to include TV into that as well. So that's why I, did, I yeah. left Game of Thrones out of it. Yeah, okay, but even with like yeah. Star Wars, I haven't felt that layer of will come into the world with me. Harry mm-hmm. Potter very much sticks with the castle and it's hard to yeah. invest outside of the castle whereas Lord of the Rings brings you across the entirety of Middle Earth. And even though Dune is very much set on everything in and around the main palace and the city, everything felt like it had been there for a long time. It didn't feel, feel like it was some sort of trickery to deceive my eyes. Like I said before, it felt like someone took a camera, went to this impossible place and said, look at this palace, it's here. Like, but mm-hmm. For a lot of practical effects, I'm sure the the city, when we see the camera panning over it, um, I haven't verified it, but I'm pretty sure it's a miniature. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, with the, but it looks with like Blade it. Runner right? 2049, yeah. a lot of the city shots were miniatures. Were miniatures, yeah, yeah so that's I true. wouldn't be surprised if the look city, like CGI. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if the here that the town would see it from above... It's just a miniature. It doesn't feel artificial in that way. It feels tangible because you can go through the screen and knock on it. I did, but I'll rebound on what you said about the the narrative, the story, and comparing it to Game of Thrones. But is it me, or I do think that the Dune universe would be better adapted through TV, like TV shows, than if, than films? Yes. Because <laughs> yes, yeah, and they chose film, which is fine. But I'm just like. Seeing the first film and how it was paced, and I would say it was perfectly paced because, again, they, they did that expecting that they'll do a second film without permission to do so. And I'm just, well, this would have worked way better as a TV show, I think. I think if they wanted to do a six to eight yeah. episode first season, they could mm-hmm. have easily done it. That was but, my immediate yeah. thought when I heard that it was going to be brought to the screen again was... This is kind of perfect for just HBO to take over and be like, "This is, this is our thing. Which We're going to do it." They did do a uh, TV show back in the day with uh, James McAvoy, right? It was on. It was a sci-fi. Oh, it wasn't a while that. back. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, Children of Dune. So it's not the first. One. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's still like in that Dune universe. But it was a it was a TV series. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard decent things about it. I think the only reason they went to they went to film instead was just to get it into IMAX and have it as a full cinema experience, which I feel like at some point soon with TV just gaining so much quality over the past kind of decade, it feels like we should be almost having showings of TV episodes yeah. in, in cinemas. But well, Fred, um, you've been, well, both of you, I think, have you both been watching uh, Foundation? I've yeah. started, uh, yeah. but I haven't, I'm not up to date. Okay, I haven't started it yet, but based on what I saw in the trailer, it looks very cinema in terms of its mm-hmm. quality of special effects and sets and everything to go off of that point. Yeah, no, the the visual effects on Foundation has, I would say, as good as Dune or close, but it's just that since it's on TV, it feels smaller scale. But if we, do ha- if we have a Foundation film with th- those special effects, to be honest... 
and I'm I'm hope I'm not like uh, sacrilegious when I see that it could be as good as Dune to be honest like the the oh. Foundation universe is as I would say as exciting as Dune for to be honest uh, since maybe it's why I, I like Foundation as well but yeah. I'm pretty sure Asimov yeah, wrote Foundation sort of as a before dude yeah. he wrote Foundation okay, yeah. before and then, Dune and then Herbert wrote Dune sort of in contrast to Foundation in mind. I knew one of them was sort of like mm. writing. <laughs> Asimov opposite. inspired Herbert. Herbert inspired Lucas. Lucas inspired other people after and so on and, and so, so forth. On. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say before and Fred's going to find this interesting having not read the book. But in this new version of Doom for 2021 bearing the current political climate, they actually removed the word jihad from the script because... I didn't read that. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, think I, didn't, that, I didn't even notice Yeah. That. I remember in the trailer, they used the word crusade and they didn't even use that in the movie. Uh, yeah, but they actually... I guess it's wise. Yeah, because yeah, well. it's much more of a point in the second one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens overall. But a big point of the Dune story is the jihad that happens. And mm-hmm. I wonder, especially with it being cut from the first one, is that too iffy a term to use for a mainstream movie like Dune that plays on HBO Max, that plays on IMAX screen, where Dune. it takes place in a desert environment. People are going to be like, we need to change that word despite the source material using that word. I think Dune is already on a little bit of, of rocky ground with the whole with the story and how it's structured because it's very... The um, Atreides going to... Um, Dune and kind of taking over and all of that is very clearly inspired by um, I think British colonialism um, sort of going off but of it's what shown in, talking about before yeah um, British Navy yeah. yeah but it's shown in more of a positive light which is um, morally quite questionable <laughs> even though I think when it was written at the time it was written from that perspective and right. then something that I hadn't it just didn't register with me at all when I had read the book or even watching the movie. But my, my sister had pointed out, um, cause she read the book just, just this year to catch it before the movie, um, that it's basically a white savior story. Essentially. And I think um, the book is more guilty of that than the movie. Yeah. At this point. Well, the movie hasn't even gotten to that part of exactly. the, that <laughs> part not, yet. At this point. <laughs> yeah. We'll see, how, we'll see how it goes. Certainly. Again, this is something that's written in the 60s. We have to bear that in mind as we look at it through the lens. Mm -hmm. But it it is very much Paul comes to save the day. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's Jesus Christ to the Fremen, and uh, he needs to repel like the invaders. Yeah, in in a way, makes sense. And will that be okay to say in 2023? Yeah, or are they going to have to modify the script? Because Doom Part One was really faithful there are a, a few things that they changed but mm-hmm. it was what, 90 to 95 percent spot on i think the biggest change was changing um the doctor right no he was i think he was i don't think he was ever like labeled as um asian in the book but i think on, well, it was kind the, of um, inferred the the imperial one the uh chinese well, in the book, it's Chani's father. I, uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was that was noticeable. 
Yeah, but so it didn't you, you doesn't affect the, anything either. You know so. the character uh, Fred, who um, towards the end of the movie she helps them out. She's sort of like the imperial spot, not spot, imperial uh, doctor. The imperial ecologist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, who's a, she's a fremen though? She, yep. but she became an, an ecologist. Yeah. yeah. In the book, mm-hmm. she is a man, and uh, so they gender swap mm-hmm. the character. And in the book, Chani just comes out like very clearly. That was my dad. By the way, mm. <laughs> whereas this one, they've been yeah, holding yeah. that card a little closer. So we have to wonder, is she going to be her mom or is that plot line just being did? Yeah. Interesting. Good. Thank you for the. Mm-hmm. They ruined Dune because of this. <laughs> <laughs> But another thing that I noticed, maybe it's an effort to like calm or like maybe I wouldn't say like um, to cut some of Dune's, uh, I mean, maybe wrongdoings in terms of, I don't know, like the beliefs and the, the language of the 60s. But is it me or the movie look really clean? Like everybody looked clean. Everybody was pretty, it, 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 I wouldn't call this like a, a dirty 60s film when like I think if I'm not mistaken I read that like the Baron Harkonnen is like into little boys and he's supposed to be this disgusting figure with like I don't know mm-hmm. bu- bubbly and whatnot and they're all redheads like in, in the 84 film <laughs> but everybody seems really clean like in a film everybody even the creatures like really clean so is it maybe like Denis Villeneuve's answer to like okay we're gonna modernize Dune so like people are not grossed out by like how it was originally written in 1965. Uh, maybe that's what they were aiming for here. I think part of that has to do with the marketability of the movie. They yeah, put so much yeah. money into Dune and they're hoping to turn it into a franchise that essentially you sort of have to beautify everything. And I think that's why they chose the cast that they did. Every one of these cast members are considered good-looking people. It's like the CW. Yeah, <laughs> true. Pretty much. Yeah. It's true, this is like yeah. a CW Vampire Diaries, but for sci-fi mm-hmm. on the, the widest scale. No one Though they did have that one sort of five-second clip of rows of prisoners hanging upside down with blood being drained from them and then just cut away and kind of ignored that that ever happened. So it was like, eh, yeah, well, just put that's around, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, so apart from the Harkonnens, who even apart from the Baron... The Baron is the only one who looks like grotesque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really yeah. big, like really big, big and pale. Yeah, yeah. cold. Yeah, but. And everyone else mm-hmm. has some sort of style or personality on them, and I think that yeah. is in part to help sell the movie. At the end of the day. You're not going to sell the movie with boils on the poster or things like that. You want to have, look at this cast. You yeah, want to go watch this movie because I, of this I, cast. I guess. I mean, that's my interpretation of it. But that, uh, it seems to be a remarkability thing. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. So it's been an hour and two minutes, gentlemen. So maybe we can wrap this up with our final appreciation, final grade for uh, for Dune for yeah. each of us with our own our own knowledge of the universe. I'll go to so, you, Fred, uh, because you you messaged okay. me like right <laughs> afterwards, and you sent me your star review. I actually didn't look at it until I yeah, had well, watched I, the movie, so I actually ignored your message for like a day. 
And then I went to go watch it, and I, <laughs> I saw your message, and I was like, really? So I want you to say what your initial message was, and then if your opinion has changed, reflect. I, I wouldn't say my opinion changed. I think I, it remains the same. But out of the theaters, first time I saw it, discussing with my friend, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10, just because... I didn't. I didn't feel that excited or that satisfied after the screening. I didn't know why. It's just like they promised me something out of this world, something magnificent, something majestic, like a reinvention of sci-fi cinema, which I have a feeling I didn't get that much. It just it's it's a cool film. It looks spectacular. There's really good scenes, but for me it was like okay, maybe it's it's a Terrence Malick take on Dune. It's really slow. It's contemplative. Which it's fine. I mean, I, I love the other works by Denis Villeneuve were much the same, um, and but I think that it promised a lot and it delivered little of that because maybe that's the way the movie is paced and it's this is a part one of a of a major motion picture, so it, it felt incomplete in all in all the sense of the term for me after the view, first viewing. Do you th- but that being said, do you think that now that they've announced part two? Has your outlook on the future changed at all, knowing there will be a conclusion? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, like I said to you before the recording, um, now I'm giving in an eight now that I know there's a part two because I know, okay, so there's going to be a continuation to the story. It's It, w- it will be completed. It's going to be like a final, like the two together, it's going to be like a, a powerhouse. It's going to be really, it's really, it's going to be really great. And same thing, like, I think I can compare this to maybe like Harry Potter chapter seven, when they did the two films, you know, the first film felt, we felt a little unsatisfied after it because it was too comp- contemplative, nothing happened. And then the second one arrived and like it, 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 everything like was completed full circle and it was like a power of a movie like really exciting really thrilling so i'm guess i have hopes that it's going to be the the case with dune part two um so if it's the case i'm all on board man it's going to be a great ride it's going to be quite an adventure and i'm I'm really looking forward to it but that being said i didn't i didn't got bitten by the the dune bug as as hard as i as i wished i guess it's just it's a cool universe Maybe move uh, like cinema was not the right medium for it since it's such a complicated um, work of of literature. Maybe a TV show would have been better. Uh, but that being said, yeah, it's 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 a it's a beautiful film, one of the prettiest I've seen in a while. That's for sure. But the way it was told and paced, ah, I've seen better. But it's 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 still worth the while. It's, it's, go see a IMAX for sure. See what you think of it, but I, I I would watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine over this one. I think every day, every day. Uh, it's the, <laughs> That's a lot of Blade well, Runner. Well, every day, no. It's a, <laughs> That's a lot of Blade no, Runner. I mean, I would like any any day. Sorry, I, I think I wanted to say any day. Like I, I still I still prefer like movies like Sicario or Blade Runner twenty forty nine to Dune to uh, in Denis Villeneuve's film filmography. And I'm still expecting for, for this universe to really like capture me in a way that Game of Thrones did and Lord of the Rings did. I'm still, I'm, I still have hopes, but right now it's still, uh, I'm not there yet. So we'll see what happens. So that's how it would uh, rank Dune. Interesting. How about you, gentlemen? Uh, I re- so I really, really liked it. Like I came out and I think my knee-jerk reaction was probably an 8.5. And I 
think that's been bumped up to nine, knowing that there will be a part two. Um, I thought the visuals were absolutely stunning. I think for me, that's the, the, the big takeaway for me is the, the visuals and the sense of immersion that I felt. Um, I thought everyone brought their A game in terms of the acting. Villeneuve's directing was, I think it was the most accessible Villeneuve has been in terms of his directing so far. His most hmm. mainstream, because everything else has been very like art house, but like a blockbuster art house. Um, Dune is certainly an art house movie disguised as a blockbuster, but I would say it's his most accessible one to date. Um, I'm yeah, okay, I can see yeah. that. Yeah, like Blade I think Runner maybe Arrival's is, pretty up, pretty up there. Yeah, that. like Blade Runner twenty forty nine is not for everybody. It's no. not accessible. It's to not accessible. Yeah. Same with Prisoners. Yeah, like, and you have to be Sicario as well, like for all of those movies. Whereas I think yeah. Uh, Dune has more more sensibilities to casual moviegoers who are fans of either sci-fi or specifically fantasy. So I would say this is probably closer to a fantasy set in space than a sci-fi at the end of the day because it's mm-hmm. more about houses and there's sword fighting. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed it. Knowing that there's a part two makes me excited. I think at the end of the day I was let down because of the ending. Um... In terms, like I said before, the structure, it felt to me like act one and a half. So I, knowing that there's a part two, if I can watch both of them over like a weekend and watch both of them together, I'm probably going to get this like five and a half hour experience. And I think that will be the complete vision. So as it stands right now, it very much awkwardly feels like half a movie with the mm-hmm. potential to stick the landing on a part two. So the, the overall opinion could change because it almost feels like I've just watched part of one movie as opposed to the first movie. Yeah. I would, I'm kind of in a bit of a middle ground, but for similar reasons, I'd give it, a, I'd give it an 8. Um, I'd, I want to give it a 10 because I'm so excited for where the franchise is going, um, hopefully beyond just part two. Um, but really like I in the cinema I loved the whole thing I was excited and kept that kind of kept going for two and a half plus hours and then when the credits hit the screen I just still felt disappointed because it was so abrupt that for me I almost I didn't I felt I left the cinema disappointed even though in hindsight it was like two and a half hours of excitement and enjoyment and kind of being involved in this world was incredible but um just that really sharp kind of ending and no necessary promise for um for the second part for for me it was three three or four weeks until we yeah we just got that announcement yeah for us Um, it was like three or four days yeah Yeah, pretty much um but i'm really looking forward to that weekend That weekend where you can sit down and watch the five-hour part of the full the full story. Doing experience. I do have yeah. one question going off of something you just said, but um, wow, I am totally having brain farts today. Yes, um, we mentioned that we both found the ending abrupt, and Fred, I think you thought the ending was rather abrupt too. It, it was abrupt, yeah. 
Is there a spot in the movie that you would think would have been better to cut the movie? For me, it's probably right after the sandstorm. Like what, right when he sees the worm for the first time, like in his face. I think that would have probably oh, been so mm. funny. That's a good I, point. I, I have the exact same scene in my mind. Yeah. Like when you see the Sam worm, just like looking down on yeah. him. And then just hard And you cut. just have that wide shot of the worm. Cut. Yeah, cut. Mm -hmm. I think film. that would have been would, a bit better as an ending. Yeah. yeah, I think that would have been perfect. And like you have the grandeur of Dune because they sell, they, they have that shot many times in the trailer. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, no, this is like to understand the grandeur of, of Dune and was, what is like coming for, for Paul like in the next couple of chapters. I think that's the way yeah. to end the film. And then but, like, yeah, I know that means that Zendaya way. wouldn't have really been in the movie. I mean, she wasn't really, but that would have been even less so. Mm -hmm. But I think starting the movie, the second one with that duel, And then just yep. going from there. I think overall that structure would have benefited the movie. And then honestly, I think it would have been a good structure to kind of still split the first book into two and start with his induction into the Fremen, finish where the first book pretty much finishes, and then do Dune Messiah as the third part of then a trilogy. Yeah, exactly. That might be a very comfortable split. So... We can't undo the, the past. Uh, what's done is done. And if we can watch all of it in one shot, as you mentioned, on a, a long weekend, these yeah. things ultimately won't matter. Hopefully there'll be a, a box set that has both of them together one day over mm -hmm. two Blu-ray discs or one Blu-ray disc where you don't even have to change the discs. But as it stands, I think that is one of the, the biggest gripes I had with it is just yeah. where it cut. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, the creative choice, but yeah, it would have been uh, maybe a wise decision to cut a little before. Just a smidge, but just a not smidge. long, just a snitch. Yeah, just like us right now, considering we say we're going to cut this ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, it's one hour fifteen, but I'll, I'll I'll finish with with something fun from um, the film. Um, as a, it's a still, it's maybe the biggest spoiler of the film. So, like, be advised if you haven't seen Dune. But at this point, I'm sure you have. <laughs> Um, but I was under the impression, like looking at the scene, I was just like, oh shit, this is going to happen. But the du the death of Duke Leto, like when he's on the chair, the other side of the table is just like Baron Harkonnen fucking eating like a disgusting Jabba the Hutt. I was sure he was going to eat him. Like I was sure that like <laughs> Baron Harkonnen was going to eat Duke Leto because he's like naked on the chair. So I'm just like, is it mm. that's gonna happen? He's gonna be eaten by the Baron? But no, it didn't happen like that. But I was sure that the Duke was gonna be eaten alive by the the Baron Harkonnen, which would have been interesting, but it didn't happen. That would have been so. horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do but, Do you want to hear? Oh, Seb, have you read uh, any of the other Dune books? No, Messiah okay. is on my on my reading list. So I'm, oh, okay, I won't bother with a spoiler then. But there is a. Yeah. An interesting spoiler about the future of Dune relative to what we've already seen. Uh, we could talk about it when the camera's off if you're curious, but so I won't throw it out into the podcast. But it's very interesting to see where things could be going if there is a third one in terms of the cast. That's as vague mm -hmm. as I'll keep it. Okay. Yeah. So there's something to go for anyone who's interested, who's listening. They can totally just go open up a wiki and check that. Or you can just go read the books. <laughs> 
Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> on, on that note, thanks so much, Jens. It was a great discussion. Um, for everybody who's uh, interested in Dune before or after seeing the film, we have some great content on ScreenUp. I think we have some spoiler-free and some spoiler reviews of the film. We do indeed. And, and we uh, do indeed. We would also appreciate a little like, a follow, a review, depending on where you're listening. We got this on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, and a few other platforms as well so wherever you're listening to this any sort of follow like review feedback anything really really helps us out totally and i would i would also point out that um i'll have a review of foundation so far like the the first uh, six episodes that we had so far of the the tv series and i'll refer to dune in in this uh in this review as well so stay tuned for that Seb, thank you so much for being uh, uh, online with us thank today, man. Thank you for man. having it was a me pleasure. on. Yeah, go get some sleep. Same here. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having Awesome. Thanks for coming over. We really appreciate it. All right, thank Jen. You. So on that note, keep drinking, have fun, and we'll talk very soon. Right, have a good soon. one. Have a good one. Cheers.